So let's pray. Father, thank you. You have given us authority. Jesus, you, before you left, said all authority has been given to you and you give it to us. And so we want to use this authority in ways that bring great blessing in very practical ways to people. So I would ask that Jesus, as you have sent your spirit, would you again send a fresh wind of your spirit in our, in our midst, even now as I speak, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, some of you may be tired of the Super Bowl and you don't have to worry because it'll be over after today. But I'm going to share with you one little opening illustration that helps us get into this message. And, and you may be aware of this, that there are two coaches, brothers John and Jim Harbaugh. They're the only sibling head coaches in NFL history. Isn't it amazing that these two brothers would make their way down the path and end up at a Super Bowl? A lot of coaches never even get there. Here's two brothers facing off with their teams. And for them to get to the Super Bowl, both are noted for making tough decisions to get there. Jim changed quarterbacks midseason with the 49ers, where the quarterback was doing well. And then... John fired his offensive coordinator in the first few weeks of December at the end last month when the season's coming to an end. You just don't do stuff like that. But they both, what I would say, made bold moves with their authority. In fact, one article says in a, in a newspaper article recently said on the football field, Jim Harbaugh, coach of the 49ers, is a superstar coach. But in the business school classrooms, he is an MBA MVP. At Santa Clara University, leadership professor Barry Posner, and some of you have read some books by him, uh, he says he uses Harbaugh as an example for his MBA students of the kind of leader who uses his intensity to fire up those around him and isn't afraid to make tough decisions. Whether it's sticking with a troubled place kicker, David Akers, or replacing quarterback Alex Smith, who's having a good season, but after concussion decides to replace him with the untested Colin Kaepernick. He made some tough decisions. And then he makes this statement, Posner does. Posner does. The stuff we're teaching about leadership isn't just about sports or business. It applies in families and it happens in volunteer organizations. It's the kind of stuff that shows up, in a sense, is the way I put it, paraphrase, where you have been given authority. Every person in this room has authority. You have a role that you will play from time to time that has a measure of authority. Grandparents, you have authority and you need to use it wisely as one who leads from time to time in your family or in other places. Parents. This applies to you. As we get into this message, you have been given a role as a parent over your team, this family, and you need to apply it wisely. If you're a business leader, you are a manager in some business setting in the marketplace. You have authority. And those in their business world expect you to use that authority with wisdom. It shows up if you are a ministry leader, if you are a teacher in a classroom, you've been given authority. If you're a teacher in a Sunday school classroom, if you're a coach over a team, every one of these positions have some measure of authority. And so what I want to talk about this morning is very practical, and I hope that it's something that will make sense in a whole bunch of different venues where you use your authority. You may not have realized this, but Proverbs this little book and this wisdom literature in this Bible 
in the center part, in a sense, in the Old Testament, most of these wisdom literature books are very practical. And they're, they're just, they give you some just simple sense of how to, to manage and lead well. For instance, there's wisdom on how to build character in yourself and someone that you're leading. There's wisdom on how to get results. You want to get something to happen, it'll show you how to do it. How to protect your family, your business, and your church from foolish and sometimes what I would call evil behaviors that could actually come from those who are in your business or those who are attending the place or a part of your team, whatever. There's wisdom on how to be a good and really wise and effective employee. It's all in this book. And what I find is interesting is sometimes we think leadership is all about making the tough decision. You know, the, the, the Harbowls, which they have actually called this Super Bowl is the Harbowl. Um, anyway, do you think it's about tough decisions? But, you know, really, it's really about what Proverbs has to say. It's about what I call common sense, streetwise wisdom. And some of you, as they go through this, you go, yeah, I learned some of this in the, in the business world. I learned this in my management areas. And you're going to go, oh, this is what it applied. This is where it came from. Because God's word shares and sheds light on this whole idea. And, and what's interesting is wisdom, when it shows up, because all truth is God's truth, said Augustine, which makes sense. When you find truth, you'll find that it's God's truth. So you'll find it, even a person who doesn't even claim to be a follower of Jesus or even want anything to do with the Bible, you'll sometimes find that some of the things I'm talking about, they do well. Because wisdom shouts, as we said, and where we got this message from this whole series, streetwise, it shouts from the street to anyone who's willing to listen. So we looked at that in Proverbs 1, 20 and 21. Well, as Proverbs goes on in verse 1 through 4 of chapter 8, it says almost the same thing. Listen to this. Listen as wisdom calls out. Here is understanding raises her voice on the hilltop along the road. She takes her stand at the crossroads. And I love the way the message says it. The message says she takes her stand at first in Maine, right in the city square where the truth, where the, where the traffic is the thickest. Kind of like going downtown, maybe inside the mall where there's all kind of people. Wisdom is there shouting out. And as it continues, it says, By the gate at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud. I called you. Listen, to all of you. I raised my voice to all people. Not a respecter of persons. Wisdom is something available because of God's graciousness to anyone who listens. And so, essentially, what I want to talk about today is, is, is leading that is a both effective and wise, takes into account three things. Leading that is effective and wise takes into account, one, that you know who you are leading. It's important you understand the, the people that you're leading, the person that you're leading. And then that you understand that as you do this, you're judging behavior, not the person. And third, you need to understand this, that you need to apply proper action to the behavior that is observed. So this is going to be very practical. In fact, I have to share with you that I got the, uh, these ideas from Dr. Henry Cloud when I was actually at a, um, I was emceeing an event this last spring, and, and he shared some of these thoughts, and I've taken them and kind of put them in a more sermonic form, but this is going to be kind of a teaching. So I ask you to kind of come with me and understand first this truth. Leading that is effective and wise knows who you're leading. Proverbs describes there's three kinds of people. And over time, their behavior, if you watch it, um, it's not an isolated problem, but when you see a series of similar problems, a pattern of similar problems, 
you have to recognize what kind of person and the behavior that is coming out of that person and give it a label, so to speak. To manage people well, you need to know. And there's three basic responses. I think it's interesting. Proverb goes, and as I was sharing this first service, a number of people said to me, I never realized this, and this helped put some stuff together for me. Proverbs speaks of three different kind of people. The person who's wise, the person who's a fool, and it speaks about the person who's evil. It speaks of behavior that comes from these three kind of people. And the reality is that every one of us, to some degree, actually have wise behaviors. And to some degree, we have foolish behaviors. And to some degree, if you watch yourself, you may even see some evil behavior coming out of you. So let's all kind of get real humble, stand before the cross and recognize that we're sinners and that we realize that none of us have this down perfectly well. But it is important that you understand these three things. So when you come to a person who is wise and you begin to give direction, you begin to sit down with them, you confront them and you kind of say, this is what I really like you to do. But if you don't understand this, it's going to keep you from from what's helping our team or what's going to help you long term. When you sit down with a person who is wise, guess what happens when you give them feedback? A wise person takes the feedback as being good and they receive it. They're kind of hungry to know. Proverbs 10.8 in the New Living Translation says, The wise are glad to be instructed or corrected. But babbling fools fall flat on their faces. The idea is that they fail to listen and eventually they're going to hit and they're going to have a fall. Because they don't wisen up. And the general pattern then of this person, if you work with someone like that, you know, when you sit down with them, they, they hear the feedback and they receive it. Now, the fool, what happens when you give them feedback? Feedback, when given to a fool, what will often happen is they'll deflect it and ignore it. Proverbs twelve fifteen puts it this way. The way of fools seems right to them. And no one else is right when, when you're being when you're actually sitting down and correcting and, and you're maybe having to confront to help move a person in a certain direction. What they'll do is put up the wall and they'll dismiss it and ignore it. As the Amplified says, the way the fool is right in his own eyes. And then evil. When feedback is given to an evil person, it's going to be hard. And we'll go through this message to discern the person who is the fool to the evil person. Because you know what happens? You kind of float back and forth. The fool can move into wisdom and sometimes become the wise person in certain areas of life. But there are sometimes where a fool might do evil things. And by that, I mean that they're the kind of person when they're given feedback, they, they, they hate it and they hate you. And in their mind, they begin to start thinking about how they can retaliate. And so you have these three different persons in different directions that a person may go. So in Proverbs fifteen twelve, it says mockers, those who are arrogant, not just wise in their own eyes, but they're so um, hardened to the truth that they resent correction and they avoid the wise. Or you see that same passage of Scripture when you look at Proverbs fifteen twelve 12 um, in the Amplified. It says a scorner has no love for the one who rebukes you, rebukes him. And the resentment and the result of that doesn't usually show up till later. We'll see um, exactly what I mean by that. These behaviors, though, I've got to share with you is interesting because they also show up in lots of other areas of life. They show up in your marriage. They show up in your relationship if you're dating someone or if you have some close friends. You can find that these show up. But I, I say sometimes in marriage, because your needs are so hooked, you can act with wisdom or as a fool, or you can sometimes be really evil. So pay attention to that as well. The key here is to know the people and how they behave, whether they behave with wisdom or foolishly, or they act out evilly. But you need to know that knowing this is only half the battle. 
So let me just illustrate this. So, okay, think about it this way. Um, how many, um, you think about a tomato, okay? Get, get that in your mind for a second, what a tomato is, okay? Now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a second. And you tell me what you think. Is a tomato classified as a vegetable, a fruit, or is it an ornamental plant? Okay? So how many, raise your hand if you think it's a vegetable. Raise your hand, tomatoes, vegetables. Okay? How many would think it's a fruit? How many think it's an ornamental plant? Okay, you guys were a little better than the first service. I don't know. You guys are smart. Guess what? A tomato is a fruit. It's classified as a fruit. And so knowing that is a good thing to know. But that's still only half the battle. Because there's a proverb that goes like this. It's found in Proverbs 32, 3. There is no 32. I'm just kidding. Um, This is just an old... Okay, you got to stay with me and stay awake. There's a wise saying... That says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Okay? So knowing that a person responds with behavior that is wise or a fool or evil is half the thing, you know, or halfway there possibly. Because now you know this, you have to start applying, in a sense, the proper action towards the observed behavior. And as you do that, before you even just knowing this, you begin to have to judge and discern what kind of behavior is happening in front of you. So the second thing I want to bring before you is this, that leading that is effective wise judges behavior, not people. I think this is incredibly important to understand. So you judge behavior and then act later appropriately towards that behavior. General behavior leads in a certain direction. And I think it's really important when you deal with people, you need to separate the person from their behavior. Because what has happened so often is a person, when they're younger, they may feel shame. They may understand and sense themselves as being bad. So anytime you come with any kind of critique, they can't separate their behavior from their person. So it's critical at this point, as you begin to judge the behavior, that you're very clear it's not about the person. An example of a person, if you continue a certain kind of behavior over a period of time and you continue to do it, you know what happens? Every choice you make begins to form your person. Your character is formed and over time that character becomes hard and you will then be called if you continue in this direction a fool. And part of what you're going to try and do is help a person separate who they are from their behavior so that you can change that person who may be moving down the path towards a character of being a fool. Sometimes they can't change it. In fact, in the example of Nabal in 1 Samuel chapter 25, you can read this sometime, but verses 2 and 3, it says in verse 2, a certain man in Maon was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, and his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Now, what you have to understand is even fools can become very wise and very powerful people. You would think that wise people are always, um, uh, you know, wealthy. They, they can't, fools can't be. You know what? You can be very wise and very powerful and still be a fool. Because you go down a little bit later in verse 25, Abigail has to come to the rescue because of her husband's foolish behavior towards David. Not only foolish, it's even actual evil behavior towards David. He begins to want to, to actually retaliate and attack David. Abigail comes to David and says, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. So he acts like his name, his character. And folly goes with him. And so she kind of interrupts the thing. 
Another person that you can see who in, in the Word of God is a fool who eventually is continued, or not in the Word of God, in, in, in history, that you can say eventually is evil, is just take a look at a person like Hitler or Stalin, right? After a while you go, you know what, they, their behavior over time has called them to be in character this way. Well, here's the point. Proverb calls you not in a sense to put labels on people. When you're in this process, you're not labeling them. They may act foolishly. You need to separate that. So you can deal with the behavior. I'm going to give you, as we go through the rest of this message, three columns in which you can kind of begin to put some of this information. And what I want you to do is I'm going to ask five questions as we go through it. And at a certain point, I'm going to bring up that other point about how you apply um, proper action to the observed behavior. But right now, we're going to still continue to look at this judge uh, of the behavior, not the person. So first question is what happens when the person's corrected? The second thing we'll look at is what behaviors should you watch for? Third, what emotions do they display? And then we're going to look at how to apply it. How do you manage this person? And what should you expect? So what happens when the person is corrected? When you sit down with a person, you can confront a person. You confront a wise person. What happens? According to Proverbs, what it says here is correct a wise person. They'll love you for it. The idea is that when you shine the light of truth and you bring up something to them, they adjust themselves to the light that shines onto that area that you've noted for them. They embrace it. They see, in a sense, they feel remorse for a moment because of the pain it might cause you, or the hurt it may have damaged in some way the team, whatever it is. And, and they immediately, after they feel the remorse, they separate and move to a new place where they begin to say, thank you for pointing that out. I, I want to learn and grow. And the bottom line is this. What you watch for is they own it. They actually take responsibility. Now, what happens with a fool when you come to the same, you come to the fool, maybe you have the same thing, you have the same correction, the same sense of you're giving them direction. And what a fool does is when the light of correction comes, they adjust the light, not themselves. They take the light and go, you know what? And they turn it away. They deflect it and they deny what you're telling them. Proverbs 12, 15 says the way of a fool seems right in his own eyes. He can't see it when it's being brought on him, so he deflects it. They actually do things like this. They externalize it. They can't, they can't own it. It's not about me. Or they'll minimize it. You ever had that where you kind of bring up something and they go, what are you doing? You're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's not such a big deal. And, they, and they'll, they'll minimize it. They'll actually at times blame others. And they'll also go on at times and project the problem onto either someone else or to something else. Because when the light comes, they have to adjust it. They don't adjust themselves. And the bottom line here is they take little or no responsibility for what has occurred. Now, with the evil person, you might be thinking, well, what does the evil person do? I've got to share with you the evil person, according to Proverbs 15, 12, says this. And you don't even know this because it it's all going internally. They look like the fool. But internally what's going on is they hate the fact that you would bring this up. They, they, they have no love for you, says Proverbs, when you in any way correct them. And what happens is that hate begins to pull and move into resentment. And resentment, after time, begins to say, how can I get back and how can I retaliate? But you won't know this when you're at this point. That's why you're still looking just at behavior, because they look just like the fool. Henry Cloud says, often an evil person masquerades as a fool. So then what behaviors do you watch for when you confront this person? What are the traits or what are, what are the common tools they'll use? Well, one of the things when you actually work with a person who is wise, you'll see that they 
pull out the tool of discernment. They don't immediately just say everything this person has said is true. But when they they're the kind of person, when it is true, they embrace it. They don't reject your correction. They actually sit and go, let me listen, let me process that. And thank you so much for giving me this feedback. They're interested. They generally want to understand, but they use discernment. Um, I've talked about this often when, when you're in relationship with someone and someone brings to you and says, here's what I see. What's important for you to do is to go hold it here. Take it with discernment. And if you and I encourage you to do this, take time daily to come before the Lord, pray, read his word, journal if it's helpful for you and take those things when those things come to your life. Grab onto it. Embrace it. Don't throw it away. Take it and go, God, what's true in here? Because what is true, if it's true, I want to change. I want to be more like you. And that's what the wise person does. Because they know what you're doing. If you're helping them see something true about themselves that can actually change, and they own that change, they begin to become more wise. And when you're wise, you receive blessing. So then... As you look at this in the tool of discernment, you say, what does the fool use as a a tool? You know what the fool does? The fool actually does two things. They deny and they defend. It's not about discernment. It's about it's about building a wall and defending themselves. And there's three common things that, that happen. There's three roles that happen. When you, you sit down, you start to give them correction. The person in, in response is they deny it and then begin to defend themselves. What they'll do is this. They'll, they'll make you to be the persecutor. They'll kind of look at you and go, you know what? I don't get this. You always pick me. I've always been the person that doesn't do well for you here. Or they'll, they'll look at you and go, you just, you know, you, you just don't understand. You have something against me. So they deny, they defend, and they deflect the problem. Here's what they do. They deflect the problem onto you. It's about you shining the light of truth on them. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like what I think sometimes kids do. You know, you learn this stuff when you're young. You know what? And when a parent says, I'm sorry, but this behavior is no good. We need to give you a time out, right? It's not about you. It's about your behavior. And all of a sudden you do it, and the kid goes, what? You're mean. You're, you know, it's, you're persecuting. They don't say this, but you're mean. That's the kind of behavior that comes up. And then there's another role that takes place because the person who's putting this little time out, let's say, is not only saying you're the persecutor, they also take on the role of the victim. And they're looking at you and they're going, not only are you mean and you're persecuting me, but if you could just understand, you don't understand, you know, you don't understand all the work I do. Like I get home at night and I can't, you know, I go to bed late and I can't help it. And I get up in the morning and I got all this and I, it's, I can't help but be coming in late. I am a victim to all the stuff. That's good. There's no sense of taking responsibility. What happens in that role is the victim is, is, is the idea that, that they look for excuse after excuse and those excuses flow. And here's the third thing they begin to look for. They look for a rescuer. And the rescuer they most want is you, the persecutor, to understand, to accept their excuse so that you just keep talking about it so no change occurs. Does it make sense? Or they'll look for another rescuer. They'll leave the thing. You don't leave the pressure. You keep the pressure on. You're still the persecutor. They're feeling the victim. And they'll look for a person they work with or another person on the team. And they'll start talking about them. Say, and so they want allies. They look for a rescue or someone will stand with them in it. Now, the sad thing about this is it might hit home to yourself. I know what this is like. We all act like fools in places. 
And so you need to understand and begin to judge what's going on in this situation. And, and I think what's really interesting is this, that when you, when you, um, when you bring a person to that point where they, they, they move into this place and, and they deny and they deflect and they go, the problem isn't me, it's, a, it's about you. When they go, the problem isn't me, you go, you're right, the problem isn't you. You have to remember Often a person like that has been raised in a situation where they've never been able to understand that who they are is different than their behavior. Now, over time, the behavior becomes a part of who they are. But you know one of the most helpful things for me in my own growth, because I have to tell you, I know the part of a fool. I know how it's like what it is to defend. I know what it's like to dismiss and deny. But one of the most helpful gifts, and here's where the work and the word of God becomes so important in life. The cross made it possible for me to go, you know what? I am fully accepted and loved in Jesus. I know in his eyes he sees me as whole so that when I understand that I can go, okay, I can look at this behavior because this behavior is something that I act out. Now I can change my actions. That's why the gospel is so important to people. Now, some people may have a good self, healthy concept to be able to separate themselves from their behavior. But there is the reason that the gospel is given is because all of us need to know that our sin is being removed from us. And God sees us as holy and pure by the work of the cross. And if you trust that, you are a new person. And in that new person, you can grow into that person. Right? So, you have this person who acts in this way and the fool and the evil person let me just share with you the evil person what they do is they continue to take cover under the garb of the fool you still don't know what's going on in their heart resentment is growing so what are some common emotions to look for well for the wise person they will experience remorse the word of god tells us the wise person feels remorse because of the pain that our actions have caused someone else You'll see that, and then they don't stay there. They don't continue, oh, I'm just a horrible person. I beat myself up. That's a self-pity kind of way. They, they begin to go, the truth says, okay, I can look at this, and because of God and the power of God in my life, I can change this action, this behavior. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry how that hurt you and others. And now they have joy because they know they have been given a kernel of truth that can change their life and change the world around them. But here's what the uh, fool does. They move into self-pity. They move into anxiety. They move into a place where they um, even begin to feel anger because they feel attacked. Because they can't separate those two. And the evil person, you still don't know. Because it's still just building in their heart. So here's the third point. Not only do leaders know, as according to what Proverbs says, the three different kinds of responses, not only do they begin to judge and discern this behavior that they're observing, they move to this place, and this place is this. The leader that is wise and effective applies proper action to observe behavior. They know that tomatoes are fruits, and you don't make, you don't put tomatoes in a fruit cell, right? They, they know that right step. So how do you apply proper action then to a wise person, to a fool, and to someone who's evil? Well, with the wise person, here's what happens so often. The wise person, you need to resource them. What often happens is in any setting, whether it's a family or a business, whatever, where do you spend your most amount of time? Dealing with who? The fool. 
You're constantly trying to talk them into a new behavior. And you're constantly seeking to do that. And after a while, it just, uh, and you're giving all your attention over here. And in the wise person, what you need to do is you resource them. You, you do need to give them time. You need to set aside. You need to put time into your schedule. Say, I'm going to spend time with this person. I'm going to give them the financial resources they need to improve what we're doing here. I'm going to actually go ahead and invest training in them. I'm going to do the kind of things I need to resource this person because this wise person is going to bless me and bless this and bless God. But so what do you do with the fool? Here's the toughest. Here's the part is kind of like where the rubber meets the road in this whole talk. With the fool, you have to set consequences. This is this is parenting 101. You have to set consequences. The problem so often is that we act sometimes the way we think we would respond. And you sometimes go, if I just talk to them, they'll change their behavior. The reality is the fool will not respond to another talk. It's legitimate. You need to talk to him once. You may need to talk to him a second time. You're doing it a third time. You're starting to follow the patterns of sometimes what I call bad parenting, which I've done. I think everybody does. And that is you tell your child, hey, look at once. Don't do that. They continue to do it. And the next time you say it louder. Anybody ever done this? And the next time you say it louder. And eventually you're going, I told you not to do it. In fact, if you... And what happens is when you get to the point where you're almost out of control, where your temper is strong enough, there's this explosive action that's going to actually set a consequence. The consequence is they're afraid. They're afraid something's going to happen. And so they act, not because you've gotten louder, but because they know there's going to be a consequence. Does that make sense? And so what you do with the person who's a fool, you have to recognize at a certain point the real problem is not at the, the talk. The problem is that you continue to talk. What you need to move now to is some appropriate actions to set some consequences that will say, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And here's the hope. That in the process of doing this, you may save their soul. You may change their behavior. There's this little proverb that gets a lot of bad press. It's taken out of um, context. In this little proverb, what happens sometimes is the idea that, that it, it says, you know, physical punishment, it says, is um, it will save the soul of a child or it will, hurt, will help them. The idea is this. When a child, think about a little three-year-old that's going to reach up to put their hand, they don't really understand, a two-year-old, on a hot stove, what would you do? You usually go like that. Because at this point, you don't want them to touch it because it will actually burn and scar their hand. And the reason you do that is because with that little tap is enough in their mind to go, oh, I better not do that. What you need to do, and I'm not talking about physical punishment here at all. I'm talking about you need to find a consequence that's enough of a tap that clicks into their mind that they go, I've got to change this. And here's what's interesting. When you begin to set boundaries, um, one of the things you have to realize is because I've found this in working in managing people. I found it in my own life in response to things that that a lot of people will give you. They're just great talkers. And you're just going to want to give them another chance because they've talked this so eloquently and so clearly that I had a person once in my life say to me with a person who was a great talker and I kept giving chances after chances and the person was real wise um, as my wife. Um, she said, you know, Jesus says this. She says, you'll know a tree by its what? Fruit. 
She looked at me and said, Kevin, quit listening to the person's words. Just look at their behavior. There is a certain point, whether you're in relationship with someone, whether it's in a work setting, whether you're a coach of a team or in a classroom, you don't want to get louder and louder. You've you got to realize as you walk, work with this person, you've got to quit listening to their words and you've got to actually know the fruit of their behavior. You observe it and then you apply the appropriate consequence because that is the only thing that may bring about change. God's word is really practical. With the evil person... You have to be smart. Because it's when you actually, not when you, it's not even when you set the consequence, it's actually when you apply the consequence that what's in their heart comes out. You now see they're not just a fool, but you better watch out because what evil is is all about retaliating. The resentment builds to a point when you set the consequence and you actually mean it, and they know you mean business, they get down to business, and they will, with anger, attack back. So now I'm going to just share with you quickly, and I'll get back to the thing on the evil thing because it's important. What should you expect when, a, when, you, when you do this with a wise person? You expect growth. You resource them, you expect growth. What do you do with a person who's a fool? You recognize this, that you've got to set con- consequences. And here's what's going to happen. They'll either get angry and work through the process and understand this, and you'll save them and they'll change, or they'll get angry, they'll stay the same, and you're going to have to deal with that through some kind of consequence. Sometimes they actually have to leave the organization that you're part of because they choose not to become wise. And then with the evil person, see, what happens here is they begin to start to retaliate, and they can do it in a whole number of ways. They begin to gossip and they tell other people, they divide the team. And they do it um, maliciously. The fool doesn't do this intentionally. The fool causes problems because it's a pattern that they've had. But now this is someone who intentionally wants to hurt you. They want to harm you. And so then they begin to do things. They look for ways to harm your business or your ministry. They look for ways that they can harm your bottom line. And in some cases, they'll bring lawsuits against you. It all goes back to the very... I was talking to someone, I didn't say this first, it was like in creation. God the Father goes ahead and he has to deal with Satan, this fallen angel. He sets a consequence and when he says you have fallen and he has him fall out of this place, it's at that point, what does he do? He's not only been a fool, he acts evilly because he wants to do everything he can to destroy the glory of God. He wants to come after his children. He wants to do everything he can to, to to basically destroy the prophets of the creation of God. That's evil. And that's why it's so important when you think about it as a person. that If you move to the place where you're in resentment, that's why the Bible says, do not go to resentment. Go to forgiveness. Let it go. Be free because you can move to the place of retaliation. And you'll be doing just like the father of lies who is evil. Okay. What do you do with bad people intent to hurt you? This is a good principle that you do in business all the time. You go into protection. Even good people. It's a holy thing. You document meetings, you paper trail, you have two people present with you, you retain lawyers. You go, but is that, yeah, that's, that's biblical. That's wise. This is where the Bible, I think, is so helpful. There are some people whose desire is to hurt you and be destructive. And unlike the un- unintentional, foolish person who hurts you, this person wants to and they seek to destroy, so you have to protect yourself. So Proverbs 2.12 says, wisdom will save you from evil people. So, let me conclude before we come and take communion and tie this all together. Here's some things you need to discern. And one is, is what you're looking at, is it a problem or is it a pattern of similar problems? And if they are, then you need to deal with this. 
Let me ask you for a second to look at yourself. One of the great things about the gospel is that it sets you free to look at yourself. When we're going to take communion in a second, one of the great things of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is he said, I paid my life for yours so that you can be whole in God. So now you can begin to look at yourself, not as, as bad, but as, as loved and cherished in the eyes of God so that you can begin to deal with your behavior. Communion is always a great opportunity for us to say, God, thank you for loving me so much. Are there areas in my life Are there places I'm not right with someone? Are there places in my life, God, that I'm acting like a fool because I don't want to be that way. I want to be the way you made me. So let me ask you this. Is there someone you know? Uh, Or do you see patterns in your own area of life where you're behaving like a fool? Think about it. Do you love critique? I'm not saying being criticized. But do you want to know truth? A wise person does. And the last thing is this. Is there someone, because it may be, this is, it's time to stop talking about the person's problem. The new problem is, is the fact that you keep talking about it, right? There may be some situation where you've realized that trying to get someone to change through talking is now the problem. And God might be calling you to some kind of appropriate response with regard to actions that need to force something that might bring about change. We're going to take communion. I'm going to ask Beth to come and the worship team. And as they do, I want you just to be keeping that in the back of your mind. The reason that we are so thankful in this meal, which is a meal called Thanksgiving, is of the love that God has for us. He set us free to look at our lives and say, God, you love me. So now I want to take a moment and remind myself of that in the grace. And I want to begin to look at my life and say, God, Holy Spirit, Help me see these things where I'm foolish that I might become wise.